Well, in the book, The Antioch Effect, Kim Hemphill asks this question. He says, if you could be empowered to reproduce one activity of Jesus' earthly ministry to aid you in church growth, what would it be? Would you be tempted to ask for the power to heal? With the ravages of today's diseases, you could certainly make an impact for good. Think about the media attention you would receive. People with AIDS, cancer, and all other forms of illness would be lined up at the doors of your church at all hours of the day and night. How about the ability to perform miracles? Think about the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 on a much larger scale. You could be instrumental in wiping out famine. And that would just be for starters. Such a ministry could draw worldwide attention to the church, and it could certainly serve as a catalyst to church growth. Ken says both are tempting, but I think I might request that I be empowered to teach like Jesus. Every time he stopped to teach, huge crowds gathered around standing or sitting for hours. He taught with such authority that lunchtime seemed like an unnecessary intrusion. Quite a far cry from the 12 noon Sunday morning at my church. Let me go five minutes over and people start banging their watches to see if they've stopped running. If only I had his teaching ability, then I could grow a great church. And then he concludes, what was the singular request of Jesus' own disciples? They said, Lord, teach us to pray. As we turn in our Bible today to 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to be looking at prayer. And what we're going to see about prayer is it's not only the power source for all that God allows us to do, but it's something that God calls on all of us to do, not only as a gathered church, but individually as believers. Prayer is a privilege that we have to talk to God, and it's one of the ways that we worship him. As you look at 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 8, it tells us this. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony born at the proper time. And for this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, as a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Therefore, I want men in every place, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. As you look through the Bible, what you'll find is there are three books that are termed the pastoral epistles, First and Second, first and second Timothy and Titus. They're called the pastoral epistles because they're really the, the manual for the church. It's the instruction manual that teaches us what we should do as a body that is gathered. And in First Timothy, we see some of the things that we're not to be doing in the church, things that are not to be among us like false teachers. And then as we come to chapter 2, we see what should be in the church. And what we're told is that first of all, that is of utmost importance, there should be prayer. Now, in the New Testament, there are seven different Greek words for prayer. And in this passage we're looking at, there are four of them that are found. The first word is desis. Desis is a word that means entreaty, request, or supplication. This is a word that gives prominence to a personal need as it describes a specific request for a felt need or a want. Now, this is usually where most of us focus in our prayers, isn't it? 
We come to God with our petitions, our entreaties, our requests for things that we want, for things that we know that others need. Prayer has been called a mighty instrument, but it's not for getting man's will done in heaven. Rather, it's getting God's will done on earth. E. Stanley Jones uh, illustrates it this way. He says, if I'm in a boat and I throw a boat hook, like an anchor out toward the shore, he says, and I catch hold of the shore and and I begin to pull on the anchor rope, he said, "Do, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull the boat to the shore? And prayer is not pulling God to my will, but it's the aligning of my will to the will of God. As you think about how you pray, is it trying to get God what you want? Trying to get God to do what you want done? Or is it asking God that he would change you so that he would get done what he wants in and through us? There was a man who was talking about his prayers. And he said, I asked for strength that I might achieve. But God made me weak that I might obey. I asked for health that I might do great things. But he gave me grace that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy, but he gave me poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men, but he gave me weakness that I might feel a need for God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life, and he gave me life that I might enjoy all things. I received nothing that I had asked for, But he gave me all that I had hoped for. The second word that we see in our passage for prayers is pruskoskis. This is a a word that emphasizes the sacredness of prayer. It points to it as an act of worship. What we've been talking about for the last several weeks. What is worship? And why do we do it? And as we pray, prayer is a form of worship. It's not just the songs that we sing that fall from our lips, but it's also the prayers that we speak that come from our lips, sometimes that are not even heard, but come from our heart. And as you think about this word for prayer, it it emphasizes the sacredness of prayer. It's an act of worship. Sometimes this word is used to speak of the particular place where prayer takes place, like a chapel or a synagogue. This word is is the one that is used the most often throughout the Bible. Of all the seven words for prayer that you find in the Scriptures, this is the one that is most common which shows the importance of this type of prayer. The focus here is not on coming to God to get what we want. Rather, it emphasizes how we come to God and worship him and adore him. As we've gone through this series on worship, we've kind of developed a working definition for what worship is. And we've seen that that is to acknowledge the superiority of another and to respond to that, not just with our lips, but our lives as it encompasses all that we have, are, and do. We've seen that it describes a servant who bows before his master or her master as they offer a service of worship. And as we pray before God, it's a vivid picture of that as we bow before the creator of the cosmos. As we bow before God and as we say to him, God, what would you have me do? Are we like Isaiah who's willing to pray, here am I, Lord, send me. When we come to God, is it a form of worship? Is it acknowledging the superiority of who he is and and his plan being better than anything we could ask or imagine? Now, as you think about entering before God, I want you to recall that we are entering before the throne room of God. We sang he is holy, he is worthy. 
And I think sometimes as Christians, we forget that holiness, that reverence for God. We see him as our best buddy. Jesus is my, my wingman. He's my friend, and he is those things. And yet we forget that we are coming before God and the holiness of his throne room in heaven. If you've ever read the book of Esther, you get a picture of what it meant to come before just an earthly king, an earthly monarch. It tells us in Esther 5, 1 through 2, it says, Now it came about on the third day that Esther put on her royal robe. She's the queen. And she stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's rooms. And the king was sitting on his royal throne in the throne room opposite the entrance of the palace. And it happened when the king saw Esther, the queen, standing in the court, she obtained favor in his sight, and the king extended to Esther the golden scepter, which was in his hand. So Esther came near and touched the top of the scepter. When it says that the king held out his scepter, he was inviting her to come before him, to speak what was on her mind, to make her request, her entreaty. Now, you would think that as his wife, she could just walk in anytime she wanted, but remember, she's not only his wife, but she's coming before the king. And in that culture, you had to be invited to come before the king. It tells us in Esther 4 and verses 15 through 16 that Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. She was told to go before the king and make this request to save the people, the Jews who were about to be attacked. And she said, go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. You see, coming before the king uninvited could mean a death sentence. And as Esther is preparing to come before just an earthly king, You you see the urgency of her need that she's willing to risk her life. And as she comes, she says, "I'm, I'm asking all of you to intercede for me, to pray to the God of heaven that he would give favor. I'm asking you to, to fast for three days. She, she also prepares herself. She says, I'm going to get prettied up. I'm going to put on perfume. I'm going to make myself as presentable as I can as I come before the king. When we come to God in prayer, those of us who are Christians don't have to come like Esther, do we? We don't come shaking in fear. We don't come wondering, will God welcome us into his presence? Instead, what we're told in the scriptures is we're welcomed as a child of God, as a son or a daughter who is given immediate access into the throne room, not just of an earthly king, but of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we get to come before him as a child welcomed by our heavenly father. When Abraham Lincoln was president, He had a standing order with his his staff and his advisors and his guards that if his son, Tad, ever wanted to come to see him, he was to be given immediate access. And sometimes Lincoln would be in a, a meeting with high cabinet officials, sometimes in a war preparation type of meeting, and suddenly this, this boy would walk into the room and immediately Lincoln would stop whatever he was doing, turn and say, what is it that you need, son? And people would sometimes get miffed about this, and they would say to Lincoln, this is too important, send the boy away. And Lincoln would simply turn to whoever was in the room, and he would say, he's my son. And he was given immediate access and the full attention of the father. And for us as children, this is what we get to do. And those times, we, we get to come before somebody much more important than the president of the United States. We come before the king of kings and the lord of lords. And we're told that we're given immediate access and the full focus and attention of the one who is far greater than anyone here on earth 
And the reason we are given that privilege is because of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who came and took my place and yours, going to the cross to die to pay the penalty of sin that we owed. And through his death, he restored the broken relationship. He provided the bridge back to God that removed the wrath of our sin, that that paid the penalty in full and made us a part of the family of God, sons and daughters who get to come before the King of kings, the Lord of lords, not only Jesus Christ, but God the Father as well. Jesus said when we speak to God in heaven, in Luke 11, 2, in Matthew 6, 9, he said, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. He said, pray, Daddy, Father, Abba. As you look at this word for pray in those two passages, it's this word that we're looking at here. The sacredness of prayer, putting it as an act of worship. And as we come before God, what we're reminded of is there is not only a relationship where we get to come to God, but we need to not forget the reverence. As we come before him, he is our daddy. He is our father. But he is also the Lord of the cosmos. We are coming into the throne room of heaven. And as such, we need to prepare ourselves We need to come not not carelessly into his presence. As we pray, we're told to remember who God is. He says, hallowed be thy name. The word means holy. We're to see God for who he is, exalted in heaven, high and lifted up. We come with that relationship, but we also come with reverence. 1 Timothy 2.8 tells us, Therefore I want men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands, without wrath and dissension. When it says to lift up holy hands, it's not the posture of our body per se. If you're somebody that feels uncomfortable lifting your hands, you don't have to do that. It's the inner heart, as we've talked about before. It's not the externals, it's the internal heart. Have we prepared ourselves? Normally when you see the word holy, it's the word hagias, which means to be set apart. This is hosias. This is a word that that means uh, devout, pious, and pleasing to God. We're told when there's sin in our life, it says we are to come without wrath or dissension. Wrath or dissension are the things that break up the relationship. And as you think about your life and how you prepare yourself, what we do here on earth affects how we come before God. Men, we are warned, those of us who are husbands in 1 Peter 3, 7, it says that if our relationship with our wife is not right, it can hinder our prayers before God. How are you treating your wife? It it tells us in Matthew 5, 23 and 24, if therefore you are presenting your offering, this is speaking to all of us at the altar. We talked about this last week, the guilt, the sin, the offerings that were given. It says, if you are there in the temple presenting your offering, and it says, there you remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering." There's this idea of of confession, that we come before God properly prepared, that we just don't rush right into his presence, but we do as Esther did, and we prepare ourselves. It's not that we pretty ourselves up externally, but we, we look at our lives and we say, am I properly prepared to come before God if I confess my sins? It's why you've seen that acronym, ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication, to speak of how we pray. We're talking about worshiping God, adoration, C, confession. Do we confess our sins? T, thanksgiving. Do we come before God, not just with our requests, but with our thanks? And then finally, that S of supplication. 
Confession is a part of our prayers that we offer. And as we're talking about the need for reconciliation, Paul reminds us here, we are to pray for all men, he says. That means friends, family, and even your enemies. As you look at 1 Timothy 2.2, it tells the people there, somebody there to pray for, and it's somebody they didn't want to pray for. It says, pray for kings and all who are in authority in order that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Years ago, I saw a bumper sticker on a car and it said, pray for the president. Psalm 109 verse 8. Now, I'm used to seeing all kinds of verses on on bumper stickers. And, you know, when you see pray for the president, you would think it would be something like this in 1 Timothy 2, 2, to pray for leaders and those who are in authority. And I thought, Psalm 109, verse 8, what does that say? And so at the next opportunity, when I stopped, I've got a Bible in my glove box. I opened it to thumb to it. And it says, let his days be few and let another take his office. Oh, the joys of ignoring the context of Scripture, right? (laughs) When we look at what's happening when Paul wrote this book, it was 63 AD. And if you know your ancient history, in 63 AD, there was a Roman emperor by the name of Nero. Nero was persecuting Christians. He was killing them. And if there was anybody that the Christians in that day would want to pray, let his days be few and let another take his office, it would be Nero. But rather than praying for his removal, what Paul says in verses 3 and 4 is, you should be praying for the salvation of those like Nero. He says, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You see, if they got rid of somebody like Nero... Somebody just as bad or even worse could come along next, and the persecution would continue. But as you know, over time, there were emperors over Rome who were believers in Jesus Christ. And when those Christian emperors were in place, what happened to the persecution? It ceased. And they had the peace and tranquility that Timothy was telling them to pray for. So what we are to do is to pray to pray for those who are in leadership, for our national leaders, our state, our local leaders. If there are men and women who are in office that are not godly, that are not governing by godly principles, what we should be doing is praying for them. Brothers and sisters, do you pray for our leaders? Do you really pray for our leaders? It's easy to complain about them, but do we come before God in heaven and ask God in heaven to change their hearts? to make them men and women who will govern according to the right laws. You know, we live in a land that has laws that allow us to worship God freely, but as we know, those privileges, those freedoms are being eroded. And there is a time coming where even here in America, persecution may break out for believers. So we should be praying, as verse 4 tells us, that all men are saved and that they come to the knowledge of the truth. If you're somebody who doesn't already have a prayer list, I encourage you to start one. Take a three-by-five index card and write the names of two or three people on it. Put it in your purse. Put it in your wallet. Put it on your iPhone. Put it on your, your, your PDA. So whatever starts up, you see your list and begin to have your most wanted list. Don't make it 100 people. Make it two or three people to start with that you will be faithful to pray for. Every day, for those you see at school, where you work, maybe somebody in your own home or neighborhood who doesn't know the Lord, and ask God daily, 
God, give this person a heart for you. Draw them to yourself. Lord, make me courageous. Help me to be a person who will share my faith with them. And as you begin to do those things, God God will open up opportunities for you. As you pray, take verse 4 and pray God's word back to him. Say, Lord, you tell us that you desire all men to come to know you. So I pray for Jose, I pray for Susan, I pray for Mary. You pray for that individual and say, God, you desire that they would come to know you. So I'm asking that you would prepare their heart. You say in your word, God, that you are the one who draws all men and women to yourself. Holy Spirit, would you just be at work in their mind? Would you prepare them to receive the truth? And God, would you give me the courage to walk through those doors that you open up? You know, before we talk to people about God, we need to be talking to God about that person and asking that he would prepare them. As we talk to God, we're told we can talk to him about anything. This is the next word that you see. This is the word in Tuxus. It means petitions, requests, intercessions. I love this word. It means to have a conversation with God where you approach God in free and familiar prayer. What does that look like? It looks like what my kids do. My kids come up to me and, and, you know, I walk through the door and they come running up and they say, Daddy, Daddy. And there's three of them and they're swirling around and they're all talking over each other and they all want to tell me their day. And one of them's grabbed my hand. Come see this. Daddy, help me with this. Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And you sit down and they come and they get up on your lap and they're talking to you and Daddy this. And, you know, one of them will grab my, my face and they'll, they'll put their two hands and they pull me and look at me, you know. And I'm just going, this is what God wants from us. He wants us to come as his children, crawl up in his lap and say, Daddy, let me tell you about my day. My frustrations, my fears, and Daddy, all the fun things that happened. Not, not just the stuff we want. If my kids only came to me like this, Dad, I need money. Dad, I need this. Dad, Dad, Dad. What kind of relationship is that? God says he wants us to have this free and familiar conversational prayer based upon that relationship. As we come before him, as we talk to him, as we share our needs, there was a little boy who was out in his backyard and he was playing in his sandbox. And as he was tunneling and moving his trucks around and doing things, suddenly he hit this rock. And he starts to uncover it, and he finds out, boy, this is a big rock. He starts digging around it, and he sees the the size and scope of this rock, and he puts his little chubby fingers under it, and he he can't move the rock. Now, it's right in the middle of all the stuff he's trying to build. So he, he braces himself, puts his back against the sandbox, and he, and he pushes with his feet. And he manages to start to move the rock, and he gets it over to one edge of the sandbox. Now, he wants it out of the sandbox. So, again, he starts trying to get it out. He builds a ramp. He's trying to roll it up. And each time he does, the rock rolls back down and crushes his little fingers. And after doing this for a long, long time, finally he just burst into tears out of frustration. And at that very moment, as he's there in the sandbox, crying, this shadow falls over him. And he looks up and he sees his father standing there. His father's been at the kitchen window the whole time watching this whole process take place. And, and the father looks down at his son who's crying and he says, he says, son, uh, why didn't you use all the power you had? 
And he said, Daddy, I did. I did everything I could. And he goes back over all he did, and he said, I tried everything. And the father very gently said to his son, Son, you didn't use all the power that you had. You didn't ask me for help. And then he reached down, and with no effort at all, he picked up this big rock, and he carried it, and he tossed it aside. Friends, are you here this morning dealing with some big rock in your life? Something that has rolled over and seemed to crush you? And you've been doing all you can, and and you're frustrated, and you're wondering, where is God, and why won't he help? Friends, have you asked your father for help? Have you used all the power that you really have? You know, one of the ways that God helps us is by bringing other believers around us. In Galatians 6.2, we're told to bear one another's burdens. To bear one another's burdens. Each week as the service ends, you hear me say many times, there are prayer leaders here at the front. If you have a need in your life, there are men and women who are waiting to pray with you. Do you realize what a privilege it is to come to those believers who say, I want to bear that burden with you. I want to pray for you. I want to intercede for you. I want to hold this need up. I want to hold your arms up, so to speak, before God. We have a prayer line. If it's during the week and there's a need, you can can call into that prayer line. And our prayer warriors are checking in on that line constantly, and they will bear your needs up. Those communication cards, connection cards that are in the pew, you can take and write a prayer request on there and put that in the offering plate. If it's something that's confidential, you see the bulletin insert. If it's something that you say, there are many, many prayers you never see because people say, you know, I just don't want this in front of the whole body. That's great. Tell us it's confidential. Every Wednesday morning, our our church staff gathers for a time of prayer. And we pray not only for one another on the staff, but we pray for the needs of the congregation. On the Tuesday nights when our elders meet, we spend the first part of our meeting literally on our knees in prayer for the needs of the body. If there's something in your life, we want to bear that burden with you. We want to to uphold it before God. There are times as a congregation we come together for a concert of prayer, times like the National Day of Prayer or the seven-by-seven focus we had as the national elections were coming up. And we were praying for, for God's will to be done. And we came together as a body. On March 22nd, we're going to be gathering, as you saw earlier, for a walk through the window time of prayer. It's a time where we will gather and we will pray for the underreached part of the world. And it's a time where you'll get to meet some of the men and women missionaries who are serving in that place to pray for them and with them that God would move out into those places in the world where there is, there is an underreached area of witness. We have the Colonial Hills prayer team. We have almost 100 people who pray regularly for the students, the staff, and the men and women who are mentors in this elementary school. And we see 30 to 40 kids every year come to Christ in that public elementary school. And it is because of the power of prayer for the people here who are upholding, who are asking that God would prepare the hearts of kids, that he would make those from Wayside who are working in that school, his hands, his feet, those who would be able to share the good news and that God would draw those people. You know, as I talk about prayer, it's something all of us can do. I don't care how old and infirm you feel that you are. If you're bedridden and all you can do is lay in bed and talk to God, you have a mighty ministry. 
And some of the best and mightiest prayer warriors are the little kids who, who talk to God like this. They don't come and scrape the Milky Way. Oh, Lord, you know, they're using all these big words where we're performing for one another. They just come before God. I love to hear new believers pray. I was in a, a group with a brand new Christian, and he said, Lord, this is Jim. He said, I haven't known you very long, but just wanted to say thanks. Man, he had prayed. And when you think of little kids and the power of their prayer, last week I shared the the struggle that my wife and I went through for more than a decade of infertility. And in the first church we pastored, it was a very public uh, situation with the body, and they were praying for us. We had hundreds of people praying for us. And there was one man in our church, his name was Drew Hartley, and he came to me and he said, Roger, my son Drew, Drew was four at the time, he said, my son Drew prays for you and your wife every night. He said, as we, as we do our bedtime prayers, every night he prays for you. Friends, he prayed for us consistently, day after day, week after week, year after year. And when Drew was 12 years old, I had the privilege one day of standing before the church, and I said to them, we're pregnant. And everybody erupted and cheered, and they were excited. And this, this boy, Drew, who was about 12 at the time, turned to his father, and he said, Dad, we did it. <laughs> and you know what? He did. Because prayer is the way that God works. It's the power source. It's the unseen thing that makes the ministry of wayside what it is. Friends, if there is no prayer in the pews, there is no power in this pulpit. It is your prayers for myself, for our staff, for our leaders, for the individuals around you. As you pray for one another, as you bear one another's burdens, as you ask God to be at work, that is what makes the ministry here powerful. Are you praying? One of the ways you can be in prayer right now is is uh, our church is going back before the city of Castle Hills to ask for favor once again. You know that we went through a special use permit hearing several years ago. Years of preparation to be able to use some of the Ivywood houses and the other things. Well, we're going back to the city once again to ask for their favor to allow us to amend our special use permits to be able to pave uh, the dirt strip by the alley, to be able to pave some of the, the backyards where some of you are parking. We got a call the other day from City Hall saying you can't park in those areas anymore. That's going to lose about 80 parking places. We need those. And we need you to be praying that God would once again give us favor with our neighbors, with the planning and zoning, with the city, as we go before and, and we follow the process. So please be in prayer for that need. You know, sometimes people say, I don't even know how to pray. You know, in those times where we don't know what to say, we're not left alone. As you look at Romans 8.26, it tells us this. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Do you realize the Holy Spirit that is resident within you as a Christian interprets your prayers? When it says that he intercedes, this is the word prosukamai. This is not here in Timothy. It's another one of the words for prayer. It means to pray earnestly, to intervene on another's behalf. 
And it says the Holy Spirit himself intervenes for us on our behalf. It, it, the word describes someone who throws himself into our case, taking a part in it. Do you realize that's what God does for us? He throws himself into our case and takes part in it. It describes what happened when God met the greatest need any of us will ever have. As you look at 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6, it says, For there is one God and one mediator, also between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all the testimony born at the proper time. Jesus Christ did this for us. He threw himself into our case and he took part in it. As you think about prayer and standing before God and man, if you've read the book of Job, you know that as Job was going through his times of trials, he complained that there was nobody to represent him before God. He, he said in Job 9, 32 through 33, For God is not a man as I am that I may answer him, that we may go to court together. There is no umpire between us who may lay his hand upon us both. Job said, I don't have anybody in heaven to represent me. As believers, we've been given Jesus Christ as our representative. And he's one who understands both sides because he is both God and man. And it says he is the one who throws himself into our case. He came to the earth in order to intervene on our behalf. He came into our situation and he became the sacrifice for our sins. 2 Timothy 2.6 says he gave himself as a ransom for all. The word ransom means what is given in exchange for another as the price of his redemption. This root word means the price paid to set a slave free. That's what God did for us, friends. He threw himself into our situation. He became the one who died for us. He represented us before God. He died on the cross to pay the penalty of death for our sins, which is why Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, He not only becomes the payment, but He becomes the one who stands before God and represents you and me before the Father. The Holy Spirit interprets our prayers to make them what are right as they go to God. And Jesus is the one who is there to carry the request before the Father to say, God, you should hear this because I died for Him. I died for her. He or she is one of the family. And when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we get to spend eternity in heaven with God because he canceled our debt. He paid the account in full. And as you meditate upon that great truth, that should bring about thanksgiving in your life, which is the last word that we see here. The last Greek word that you see for prayer is Eucharistia. The word literally means thanks, thanksgiving, and gratitude. It means a giving and offering of thanks. Some of you were raised in a tradition as I was, where when communion was served, it was called the Eucharist. Have you ever heard that? It's a beautiful reminder to us of why God is worthy for our praise, why we can thank him. As we come to the communion table, we are reminded every time, thank you, God. Thank you for throwing yourself into my situation and intervening on my behalf. Thank you for being the one who bridged the gap that, that allowed the, the road home to heaven through Jesus Christ, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. 
And it is a time where we thank God for what he's done. It's an offering of thanks that we give to him. Friends, as you look at your life and all that God has given to you, ask yourself if your prayers reflect what we've talked about today. Ask yourself if your prayers reflect how blessed you really are. 1 Timothy 6.8 says, If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. If we have food and covering, that's all we need. How many of us have much, much more than that? Have you thanked God recently for all that he gives to you? Hebrews 13.15 tells us, Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that gives thanks to his name. Giving thanks should be a core part of our prayers when we talk to God. And I want to end now by doing that. Will you join me, please, as we go to the Lord in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for the privilege we have just to talk to you right now. Lord, we were reminded a few weeks ago in Revelation 4 and 5 of the the throne room in heaven, of the glories, of the worship taking place, of the living creatures and the host of heaven and all that was swirling around. And Jesus, we saw worthy are you, holy are you, God. And yet we get to come into your presence. Lord God, I confess that there are times I, I don't come into your presence the right way. I forget who you are because of that familiarity, because of that relationship. I forget to reverence you at times. And Lord God, sometimes I come just with my shopping list, just with my next set of needs, and I forget to thank you. And I forget, God, just to just to sit in your lap, just to enjoy the fellowship of being able to talk to you. Lord, would you help us to be men and women who pray, to pray the way that you want. Help us to come not in fear, but as your children. Help us to say, God, let me, let me tell you about my day, sharing our fears, our frustrations, but God, also the fun things. We run to Facebook, we Twitter, we tweet. We, just, we want everybody to know what's going on in our life, and, and we forget to talk to you. So, Lord, would you help us just to enjoy fellowship with you? Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to talk to you. Jesus, we thank you for the, providing the way home so that we could do that. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being the one to interpret and intercede for us in those times where we don't know how to pray. Lord God, you are worthy of our worship, and we do that now. We want to tell you that we love you. Thank you, God, for the privilege of coming before you in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray and thank you. Amen. If you have a need in your life, you see the men and women who are here to bear your burdens, they'd love to talk with you. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.